You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Let us pray. God, our Creator, when you speak, there is light and life. Fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we may listen to one another, speak the truth in love, and bear much fruit in the service of your kingdom through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Um, as I was mentioning a second ago, um, I decided when Gil said something to look at the supposed minor prophets and uh, pick out some of those, and uh, I decided on the name Lesser Known because for the most part, unless you're on a daily Bible reading through the year, most people probably slide over some of, some of these, even though they're short, you can uh, read through them pretty quickly, but uh, if you read through them too quickly, you miss the message, uh, just like anything we read, or any Sunday school we go to, Martin. That's um, but um, anyway, Nahum means comfort, and it was a comfort and relief of things to come to God's people. Because uh, they had been um, in a situation of vengeance, and that's what was on their mind. But it's comfort to them also, Judea, in that it's a relief of the vengeance that will be taken upon their enemies uh, that will give them relief. And it was probably written a little bit before the actual destruction of Nineveh. Nineveh was founded by Nimrod, who was the grandson of Noah. And he also founded Babylon. Now, both are very historic cities, even when we do world history. But Babylon was more secular, whereas Nineveh was a city of violence, conquest, cruelty, anything you want to think of, they were bad. And on a good day, they were bad. Um, it was the Assyrian capital, and what's interesting is the inner city had a wall around it that was eight miles in diameter and 100 feet high and wide enough for three chariots to drive abreast. Now, Talladega is only two and a half miles, so you expand that by three plus, or multiply it by three plus, um, you get what that is. And of course, with race cars, they're going faster than chariots, but you get two abreast at Talladega, what happens? Wreck. So you can imagine if they had three chariots racing around, but that's how big this wall was. And that becomes important later on when we are talking about it. Now, also, the, the city and the destruction that uh, we'll talk about in a minute happened in about 1621. And it was so wiped off the map that archaeologists only found it in the 1640s. That's a pretty long time for something to be, or 1840s, excuse me, that, you know, 2,400 years, that's a while. It just disappeared. But in looking at it, um, and then just giving here some more history, uh, which leads into the destruction and the warning. 
the northern kingdom, known at the time as Israel, they were exiled to and around um, because of their adultery. And um, the Assyrian king deported over 27,000, and it was part of their way, or the Assyrians' way, they couldn't govern every place they took over. So they scattered people and brought other people in. And the other people coming in to Judea probably were from different places also. So, you know, like some from Birmingham, some from Montgomery, uh, and we all uh, get sent over to um, southwest Georgia. And then also some people from South Carolina and whatnot, but couldn't speak the same language, so they couldn't gather together to cause an uprising or anything like that against the Syrians because they had trouble talking to their next-door neighbor. Uh, so that's so the 27,000 probably ended up not in the same place, but in multiple places. And if you go into 2 Kings chapter 17 and 18, um, you can read about literally the history of the northern kingdom, whether you went into the Bible or go into something secular, you'll get the same story uh, of what happened. And then, a few years later, the second kingdom, um, or the southern kingdom, then known as Judah, they started having to pay um, dues, so to speak, or paying huge sums. But at a certain point, the um, Assyrian king wanted to just take them over, period. And there, the, uh, in Second Kings, we had um, Hezekiah, who uh, most of us have probably heard of at one time or another. And the Assyrian king's messenger uh, brought a um, message or was sent to deliver a message. So looking in 2 Kings. Thus shall you speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah. Do not let your God in whom you trust deceive you by promising that Jerusalem will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Skipping down, uh, Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messenger and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel. And then, and went on. And then further on in 2 Kings 19, Therefore, says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city or shoot an arrow. There or come before it with a shield. For I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. And that night the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. So God took care of Judah because of Hezekiah. But over time, the Assyrian, kind of like any empire, you may have some, a little bit of ebbs and flows, they were a bit weaker, and they went off, and then subsequently a um, son or grandson of that um, Judean, excuse me, Assyrian king came down 
and wiped out about 200,000 uh, of the um, Jews in that area to get back at them and literally um, take over. And this was about in the year uh, 721 B.C. And as I mentioned, it was 90 years later when um, Nineveh was destroyed. During that week time period, um, Jonah made his visit to Nineveh. And, you know, most of us have probably heard the story at one time or another because Jonah and the whale is a good one to at least nothing else to read to uh, your children about um, the whale. But the word uh, reached that Jonah was preaching reached the king of Nineveh, and he rose from his throne and removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published it throughout Nineveh. By the decree, the king and his nobles let neither man nor beast, herd or flock, let them not feed or drink water, but let them turn from their his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows, God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Well, of course, we know Jonah got a little upset because that's exactly what God did. He heard their prayers. But, like so many people, they forgot the message. Uh, they didn't hear it. And they became even worse as far as their brutality. Um, they were extremely brutal, the Assyrians were. Part of that was when you come to, when they start and besieged a city, if you knew what he had done to that last one, you might not hold back as long. Problem was, same thing was going to happen to you whether you surrendered or not. But he did it as, they did it as a lesson. Mass killings of all ages, swords, crushing, burning, children, didn't matter. They enslaved people. Uh, even one uh, James Montgomery voice that a lot of you may have read his commentaries that are really good. Um, he talked about some of the kings and higher princes of captured um, city-states, countries, whatever, were brought back in effect collared like a dog and then put in kennels. I mean, that's, that's pretty bad. Um, some of them were skinned alive, and the skins were tacked up on walls and posts and everything else, which, you know, that's just... Their cruelty, from what I was reading in some of the places, it was beyond what I think most of us could imagine doing to a frog, much less to another person. This was the king of Nineveh. Yeah, the, the, well, just not just that the current king when Nahum is speaking, but ones before him. I mean, that was just that was the reputation Nineveh had, not just this particular king at the time. So um, they just practiced it. That was standard operating procedure. That you know, it's scary. And so that's, you know, they just did things that were beyond um, most of us comprehending. And like I say, I don't think most of us in wildest imaginations. I know it's, like I said, with a frog, sometimes we'd catch a frog when I was a kid and do things to 
see the legs still jump after the frog was dead. Um, but that's, that's not good. Um, Nineveh was destroyed for a couple of reasons, several. One, just their sheer vengeance that I was talking about. And if you look in uh, chapter 1, uh, or chapter 1, verse 2, the Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and keeps wrath for his enemies. And so God had seen their vengeance. Now, God had used their vengeance because he used them to punish the Jews for their idolatry and other things they had been doing to um, ignore him and not worship him. Um, and then, you know, we're 90 years later, Nahum has come into speak and more than likely it was close to the point in time when he did it but uh, because they were guilty and uh, none of the Ninevites were guilty and what they did uh, they also plundered one of the Assyrian kings talked about his plundering and said that the gold and what they had plundered was too numerous to account for they just took everything and they did that from for everybody that they saw. And so um, he went after them uh, and was going after them, as he said. Then, like in verse 4, he rebukes the sea and makes it dry. He dries up all the rivers. Well, if you think about it, how did the Jews get out of Egypt? Split the sea in Moses was able to split the sea, and they walked across on dry land. You know, right now, if we uh, dammed up a small stream, it wouldn't be dry. Uh, it'd be muddy. No, that was dry. Then, how did Joshua and them get into Israel? Jordan River. Dried, parted, walked through. And then even Christ showing his deity, he stopped the storm on the lake. So, the sea... God can deal with that and make it go. Then looking at uh, verse 7, after talking about what God can do, um, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. And Martin Luther, during his time, um, found that as a great verse of comfort uh, when you stop and think about that. Then, in the next part of the chapter, first chapter, uh, it talks about the destruction of um, Nineveh. Uh, but with an overflowing flood, he makes a complete end of the adversaries. As I mentioned, the inner city had a wall around it that was over eight miles. But a Greek historian in 20 B.C., but um, there were still things around and, and talked about, and you can find stuff that are places outside of Nineveh that would have talked about it. There was a big flood. Now, uh, the flood could have come from a couple of things. Um, first, Nineveh was, had rivers kind of going around, so that was part of its security of being tough to do a siege, plus there were some dams upstream. Well, if you're making siege of a city, 
that's surrounded by water, well, what's one of the things you can do? You can dam it up. So there's a possibility they got dammed. Also, uh, uh, Montgomery Bowes um, said that there was a great rainfalls during that time. I guess kind of like what we've experienced this summer, but every day. And so if you've got dams blocked up, you've got uh, heavy rain, and then all of a sudden you open the floodgates, you got a lot of water coming down real fast. And it created a, it destroyed 20 furlongs of this eight mile circumference wall. Well, that's two and a half miles. That's, that's 25%. That opens up an easy way for uh, the conquerors, who were multiple nations, including Babylon, that had gathered enough soldiers up to come after Assyria because they'd come after them. And so they could get through. Then also, um, there in verse... Um, Where is it? Consume 10. Um, For they are like entangled thorns, like drunkards as they drink. They are consumed like stubble, fully dried. Well, consumed in the Old Testament tends to mean burned. And there was a, when the um, archaeologists started in the 1840s digging down to where ruins of Nineveh were, they found a lot of blackened ash. So there was a lot of burning. So, and that's what happened back in that period of time when um, a lot of times you took over a city. Even you can read when uh, Joshua's men went marching through Canaan. Some of the places got burned. Some of the walls, like Jericho, just fell down. Um, but they found a lot of ash. So it kind of fits with what Nahum is describing and what's going on. And then looking in 10, the Lord has given commandments about you. No more shall your descendant, your name be perpetuated. That means no descendants. I mean, Nineveh got wiped out, destroyed people. There were some that did escape, but within a few years they were all killed and um so anything related to your family name, your heirs, there were not because you're. John, sorry, Go ahead. What's the author there? Who's is, it, is that the prophet, prophet speaking, or is that uh, about no more shall your name be perpetuated? Yeah, that's names. That's in verse fourteen. Okay. It's talking about it. So it was wiped out. So you know, in the city at that time, you would have had you know, in my case, my children, my grandchildren. They all got destroyed. So there's no way anybody's name that was associated with Nineveh could talk about when my family died in Nineveh. There was nobody. You, you know, it, it's, it says, no more shall your name be perpetuated. So it's just a total wipe, wipe out. But then we get down to verse 14, after we've gone through 8 through 13, talking about what he will do. The Lord has given commandments about you. No, wait. 
that was 14. Go to 15. Behold, upon the mountain, the fiend of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, keep your feast, O Judah, fulfill your vows, for never again shall the worthless pass through you. He is utterly cut off. So, totally destroyed. Then we get into the um, destruction in chapter 2 is about the destruction of Nineveh. And it goes into some of the things mentioned in the kind of the second half of verse 1. But it talks about, here again, the scatter has come up against you. Man the ramparts. Be ready. Uh, the Lord is restoring the majesty of Jacob as the, as the majesty, majesty of Israel. Uh, for the plunderers have plundered them and ruined their branches. But he's done. The river gates are open. Here again, the palace melts away. Uh, the mistress is stripped. She is carried off. Her slave girls lamenting. Uh, Nineveh is like a pool whose water runs away. Halt, halt, they cry, but none turn back. Plunder the silver, plunder the gold. Uh, there is no end of the treasure or the wealth of all precious things. Assyria, you know, they talk about you know, how Solomon accumulated wealth, but that was given to him. Some of it, yes, he in conquering and building up the empire, but so much of it, he was just... Other kingdoms saw such greatness in him, they gave gifts. But the uh, Ninevites plundered, Assyrians plundered beyond plunder. Desolate and ruined, hearts melt and knees tremble. And then in verse 13 of chapter 2, and again in verse... 5 uh, of chapter 3. Behold, I am against you, declares the Lord of hosts. You know, that's kind of scary when you get a warning like that that says, Behold. And um, so as such, um, God's given them a warning. And it goes into, uh, it talks about the uh, host of slain, leaps of corpuses, uh, death of bodies without end. They stumble over the bodies. And and all for the countless whoring of the prostitute, graceful and deadly charms, who betrays nations with her whoring and people with her charms. Well, whoring in this sense would include not only necessarily prostitutes, but also it's just the corrupting influence of what's going on in that society. And, you know, Greed, corruption, the vengeance. Um, it, it's just people after that. It, the betrays talks about treachery and deceit. So it was everything that could be wrong that this society of Nineveh was living through. So that's what, when it says that, is what it's talking about. And then in verse 8, um, it brings up, Are you better than Thebes that sat by the Nile with water around her, her rampart at sea, and water her walls? Egypt in Thebes was a mighty town. 
but the Assyrians kind of got tired of somebody on their southern flank creating problems, so they went down to capture Thebes. It took them three years to get it. Um, and so there's, he's saying here, the prophet, you know, God's message, are you better than Thebes? You took them over. What makes you better than them? And they did a lot of destruction there, but, you know, you can go to Egypt now, you can go down the Nile south, and you can see some, uh, some pretty big monuments, the Valley of the Kings with tombs and whatnot there. So there's more than something there and has been there where people could go visit since the Assyrians took it over. may have gone into ruins. Robbers, you know, raided tombs and took away uh, treasures inside those tombs. But, you know, God, in effect, through Nahum, is asking, what makes you any better? You did this to them. It took them um, three years, but they did it. Um, yeah. Yet she became an exile. She went into captivity. Her infants were dashed in pieces at the head of every street. So that's what they did in Thebes. They went in with great destruction. But they're being warned, what makes you any different? And uh, their troops, he talks about, behold your troops are women in your midst. Um, it was like the troops were just not paying attention. And so when they were called to arms, you know, I got other things I got to do. Um, they talk about here, uh, there will be the fire that devours you and the sword will cut you off. It will devour you like the locust. Um, multiply and increase like the grasshoppers. You increased your merchants more than the stars in heaven. So. It realized, Nineveh did, the Syrian kings did, the importance of having merchants and trade. And there were a lot of them. And, but when things got scary like this, they kind of went away. When it talks about it spreads its angle wings like grasshoppers and flies away. Your princes are like grasshoppers, your scribes like clouds of locusts sitting on the fence in a day of cold, when the sun rises, they fly away. Here again, the prominent people, you know, the princes, the, the bureaucracy in a lot of cases, they tried to get out of there as fast as they could because they saw the size of this army and they understood what was happening and coming. And they didn't want the same thing to happen to them. Your shepherds are asleep, O king of Assyria. Your nobles slender. Your people are scattered with none to gather them. There is no easing your hurt. Your wound is grievous. All you hear the news about you clap their hands over you. For upon whom has come, whom has come unceasingly evil. You know, and so it ends with a question talking about you know, how all the other countries and places that you had held captive, that you had plundered, they're cheering. And there's none to come and help you out. You know, who's coming to help you? Which is kind of interesting. There are only two books that end with a question. 
and uh, well, I was saying that somebody guess it. Uh, uh, Revelation. No, Jonah. And should not I pity Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? Right hand and left hand has to do with their morality and their spirituality, which is just unanswered. So, Jonah ends with a question and Nahum ends with a question, both related to Nineveh. You know, everywhere else ends with a period, not a question mark, which is kind of interesting. Um, and so they were allowed, those that came, they plundered. You know, they took back their own, what was, what was you know, given them, what they had taken. Um, others celebrated. And then, you know, it makes you want to think about us today. You know, where are we on this fence of trusting as opposed to kind of giving lip service maybe to? Um, in Psalms 50, which is um, in um, verse 15, And call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you sh- shall glorify me. You know, that's something we can take comfort in and looking at what our enemies are doing, and if we're following, then you can go into Romans three, and uh, you know that's one that becomes kind of interesting reading. See how well I marked it. I guess not well. Um, but in Romans three, um, verses ten through eighteen, it's God's judgment. And I won't read it all. For all have sinned without the law who will perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law shall be judged by the law. So God's judgment and the law. But then, in, uh, no, that was not the right place. Excuse me. Uh, no one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. But then we go to um, Romans 3, chapter 21 and following. Uh, Now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. And although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. So, you know, some of this stuff is a comfort, you know, it, uh, that Nahum is talking about the destruction of Nineveh, but to Judah, it's a comfort, knowing that God, even though it's 90 years after they were punished, and even longer for the northern kingdom, even though the northern kingdom, which uh, kind of became known as Samaria, never really came back into God's house. Um, you know, they worshipped a king on the mountain and kind of called themselves part of it, but didn't go to Jerusalem. And so, you know, this to us is like, as long as we're trusting, believing, and keeping our faith, it does work out. It's kind of like to me, um, when you read Revelations, 
you can take two views of it. You can either see it as a view of just how terrible the end of the world is going to be, which makes kind of what's talked about here in Nahum almost sound mild. But if you can read it as God's chosen, what's the end? We're in the new Jerusalem. And so that's what Nahum's oracle, his prophecy that he was directed by God through the Holy Spirit to uh, deliver. He delivered the bad to the Ninevites and let the Judah know there was comfort coming. And thus ended the lesson. Thank y'all. Thank you. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.